Hello, you're listening to The Pulse on Ames Student Radio. I'm your host, Preston Ross. And in a year where the news has been focused on coronavirus and the presidential election, I'm going to turn away and talk about the Colorado Blue Book, going through each proposition and amendment in great detail. So listen in to get a different conversation here on Ames Student Radio. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the differences between amendments and propositions, what kinds there are, and how they end up on the ballot. We're also going to be talking about two propositions, Proposition 114, which is about the introduction of gray wolves to the state of Colorado, and in Proposition 116, should income tax rates for the fiscal year 2020 be reduced. So stay tuned to hear so much about all those exciting topics. And we're going to take a quick break, just real quick. But when we come back, Proposition 114, wolves, gray wolves, big, bad wolves. I'm Preston Ross, and this is The Pulse. If you're listening to this right now, you are listening to this on Ames Student Radio. But if you miss any part of the show and want to catch more of it, you can find this podcast by searching for The Pulse with Preston Ross in podcast form anywhere you find your podcasts. Welcome back. This is The Pulse. I'm your host, Preston Ross. And right now I'm going to focus on Proposition 114 reintroduction of gray wolves. So this is an interesting bill. I think this really is. And it is more complex than it may seem on its face. That's something I love learning from the blue book is seeing these things that seem simple on their face and really picking them apart and saying, how is this complicated? Why is this complicated? Because unfortunately, as I've come to realize studying politics, nothing in politics is simple. There are simplifications, there are simplified versions of things, there's a way to simplify things, but nothing in and of itself is simple. So naturally, this proposition to introduce gray wolves is not simple. It's quite complex, but but we'll start with the basics. We'll start with the little stuff and build up. So what are the three things Proposition 114 does three things. And what are those things? Well, the first one is to develop a plan to reintroduce and manage gray wolves in Colorado. The second is to take the necessary steps to begin reintroduction by December 31st, 2023. And this bill will require the state to pay fair compensation for livestock losses suffered by Um, farmers that are caused by gray wolves. So those are the three main points. I would like to point out the location where the wolves are going to be placed is west of the Continental Divide. So the Continental Divide is the highest place, highest point on our continent. If water falls to the west of it, it will end up in the Pacific Ocean, probably. And if it falls on the east side, it will most likely end up in the Atlantic Ocean because that's where they flow from. So that's that's what the Continental Divide is, and it's essentially just a line down the mountains where this kind of separation occurs. So this would be on the west side of the state, so you're looking at the western slope. For all you Coloradans who know, know that slang, the western slope is where these wolves are going to be reintroduced. 
So, the pros of this bill are that there have been ecological studies that show that when you reintroduce wolves, things change. A lot can change by simply changing one species. Reintroducing or removing a single species can change the whole ecosystem. And the best or the most common example that I've heard is the Yellowstone reintroduction of wolves. So when they reintroduced wolves, they cut down on the deer and elk herds, which had done a lot of grazing near the rivers because they felt safe to be around the rivers because they knew there weren't as many predators around. They're, they're less scared to be around water. And though many animals like to follow the rivers, but regardless. So they, they, they felt comfortable next to the rivers where there is no cover and they would just graze and graze and graze, which would slowly eliminate the number of plants that were holding the banks together with the roots and the river moved and it got wider in some places, got skinnier in others, and it moved around a little bit because the banks could now fall apart as the water comes through. When they reintroduced the wolves, the, the, the deer population went down, the deer and elk population went down, and the river moved. But not only did the river move, but other species began to pop up. Other predatory species, but also non-predatory species, different species of, you know, bugs, for example, or, and birds started to essentially come back to the area because of the fact that the river had moved and a couple other things had changed. I haven't really read the study myself, but that's what I've heard. So that that's a common example of what some people consider a pro. Now, I would like to point out that this isn't necessarily a pro to some people. That, whether or not that's positive is a question mark because there are some people who say if we just return everything back to the way the quote-unquote way it was the net quote-unquote natural way then shouldn't we be tearing down buildings and getting rid of roads and you know so usually those people argue that that uh, if we were to do that we would have to become primitive again I think that's kind of a silly argument, but it's an argument that some people take quite seriously. So that one's there and I'm putting it on the table. Another pro of this bill is the livestock compensation. So one, as, as, as somebody who owns some kind of livestock, or at least I live on a property with livestock, I value my livestock and I don't like predators. And if the state were to tell me, by the way, we're reintroducing this really scary predator who could kill a lot of what you own. That brings up some problems, and you say, well, why would you do this? You're, gonna, you're going to damage me by doing this. So, thus, when the state says that they're going to pay fair compensation, that, that settles some stomachs and brings some people to ease. Now, I honestly, my honest opinion here is that when the government says fair compensation, they don't usually mean what you think of as fair compensation. There's plenty of cases regarding um, property that, you know, where the government's supposed to pay you fair compensation. Uh, we actually had a bill about that in 2018 here in the state of Colorado, if y'all can remember all the way back then. So, but that helps that helps, I think, convince more people of, hey, we're going to compensate you for your livestock. How much? That's a big question mark. Also, I think there's probably, I, I didn't see anything in the blue book that mentioned this, but 
I imagine there's going to be some sort of standard for what counts as proof that wolves caused that attack versus some other animal. So I think that will that will be a concern that the courts will have to help decide since I don't see, see it quite as clearly as I would like to here in the blue book. So there's also that question. And the last pro is that we would be ensuring a permanent population by reintroducing the wolves manually versus hoping that it would happen naturally. So there have been some sightings in the state of Colorado of gray wolves in the past few years. And some people think that perhaps they'll create their own self-sustaining population and thrive on their own without humans having to deal with it, having to do it for them. Other people think that Perhaps that's not entirely true, and the population that is coming here will eventually die out, and it won't be a permanent population or a self-sustaining population, but instead a migrant population that then died off. Kind of like a, kind of like the Roanoke colony. You know, they sent people there, and then they kind of just disappeared. Because that's, that's a story for another day. Um, here are the cons to this bill, though. The uh, United States Federal Wildlife Service currently lists gray wolves as endangered, which means that the states have to get permission from the federal government, from the United States Federal Wildlife Service, to reintroduce wolves, which means that we would have to get that authorization before the deadline in 2023, or... or the United States Federal Wildlife Service would have to remove gray wolves from the endangered list, which would then allow states individually to reintroduce wolves or, yeah, just to reintroduce wolves if they wanted to. Now, keep in mind that the federal government, if they thought this was a more pressing issue or were more concerned about it, would have the power to reintroduce wolves on their lands. For example, the United States Federal Wildlife Service was a part of reintroducing wolves in Yellowstone because Yellowstone's a national park, thus making it federal land. So it's within their jurisdiction. Outside of there, if they'd gone, you know, if they tried to do it outside of like, this is crazy, I know, but outside of, say, Rock Springs in Wyoming instead of in Yellowstone, Wyoming, then they would have been out of their jurisdiction and the state would have had the right to change some things there because it's out of the federal jurisdiction and in the state jurisdiction. But the states can't do anything on their own land without permission from the feds. So that could, assuming none of those roadblocks disappear, could make this bill null and void, even if it passes. It could prevent that. It could also, this bill could also hurt people. How? Via wolves. Wolves are at first timid towards people, but as they grow more accustomed to them, or if they feel threatened by them, will become more aggressive. So as time goes on, there will be more wolf attacks. Now, a lot of people who are too staunchly, I would argue too staunchly in favor of this bill, will point to the first couple of years after reintroduction and say that, assuming the bill passes, that oh, look, look, not a lot of human attacks happened. It wasn't as bad as we thought it would be. But as time goes on, that will get 
worse to a certain extent because the wolves will feel more comfortable. They'll be like, hey, yeah, I can wander through town and go pick up a cat. And that, you know, but before they're comfortable with humans, they're not going to go anywhere near them. So there is going to be that if this bill passes, that fight will be happening for several years to come. Another another con, another con is we have a somewhat suffering deer population. It's not quite what we want it to be. We uh, The state has said that they want the deer population to try to go up. And if we reintroduce wolves, that will probably be a lot more difficult. And our elk population, which is currently stable, will become unstabilized and may shrink or even disappear, depending on how drastically they, they are affected and hunted. So that could go against something that the state wildlife service has been trying to do for many years and worked on very hard, which could be counterproductive. And the last major con is cost. This will cost money if we do it, if the state passes it and we're able to, you know, considering, you know, if everything else were irrelevant and we were just looking at the cost of doing this, there's a lot of money spent. And if you add in roadblocks and some bureaucracy, like, you know, a little sprinkle of bureaucracy, then you have a nice, sweet, expensive cake of reintroducing wolves, which could cost taxpayers a lot of money. Though, really, it's a drop in the bucket for the state state budget. If you really look at things big picture, it's a drop in the bucket. But every, you know, buckets don't fill up by one giant drop. They fill up over over time with drop after drop after drop after drop. So can, that's that's another thing to consider. So Preston, what does all of this mean? You may be saying, why are you telling me this? Well, because now we're going to get to the point that matters for you. What can you do about it? How? What can you say? Well, here's how. You vote. If you vote yes on Proposition 114, the state will be required to pay fair compensation for any livestock attacked by gray wolves in the areas where they've been reintroduced. The state will be required to reintroduce wolves, and they will be required to do that by December 31st, 2023. So that's what will happen. That's what will have to happen. Whether or not it will be possible will depend on the, the United States Federal Wildlife Service to some extent whether they grant the state permission or they remove the Canis lupus from the endangered species list. So, but if you think, no, I don't want to have wolves in my backyard or I don't want to have wolves in other people's backyards, I don't want to put them through that, then vote no on Proposition 114 and things will stay as they are. You may see more wolves in the future because they're reintroducing themselves naturally perhaps, but we'll see if that becomes a long-term population or if it dies out on its own. So if you're, you know, that's what you do. So really at the end of all of this, go vote. <laughs> I can't express that enough. Just go vote. It's, it's important, not just for you, but for everybody. So go let your voice be heard and decide whether or not you will vote yes or vote no on Proposition 114, the reintroductions of gray wolves to the western slope. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
Heck, even Tinder's telling you to register to vote today. And I am going to do the same thing. So, yeah, I sound like a broken record. I know. But if you're not registered to vote, go to govotecolorado.gov and register today. It will take you less than five minutes, and if you do it before October 26th, you will receive your very own mail-in ballot delivered directly to your house. So, if you live in Colorado, go to govotecolorado.gov and register today. Welcome back. You're listening to The Pulse. I'm your host, Preston Ross, and... I figure while we're talking about the Blue Book this season on The Pulse, I might as well discuss what is the difference between an amendment and a proposition and the different kinds of amendments and propositions that we have in the Blue Book that come in the Blue Book for us. So to start, you have those two main categories, amendments and propositions. Amendments are always amendments to our state constitution. So it is us, the people, voting to change some portion of our state constitution. Propositions are a change to the statutes in the state. The state statutes change if a proposition passes. So that's the big difference. But each of those can be broken down into two categories. Those two categories under each are placed on the ballot by the state legislature and placed on the ballot by the people. So, to, d- to you know, get into more detail, an amendment placed on the ballot by the state legislature will be followed by a single letter. So, for example, we currently have on the ballot Amendment B, which is uh, an amendment that would repeal the Gallagher Amendment. And that was put on our... That was get brought to our attention and put to our vote by our state legislature. They put that one on the ballot. But, in contrast, we have Amendment 77, which is uh, about local voter approval for um, bettings, betting limits in games in certain cities. That, since it is followed by two numbers, two digit a two-digit number between... 10 and 100, that means, that tells you that that was put on the ballot by the citizens, by someone who said, I've got this bill and will you please sign this piece of paper for me? You know, that person standing near the mall trying to collect signatures, that's what they're doing. They're trying to collect signatures so that these kinds of amendments can go to the people and we, the people, can make these decisions. So, to propositions, to slice propositions up, there's two kinds of propositions, state legislature propositions and citizen citizen propositions. So a proposition put on the ballot by the state legislature will have two capital letters following its name in its title. So for example, we have Proposition EE, which is an increase on taxes. Now, I would like to note, and it is important to note, that any tax question is automatically any tax question is brought to us by the legislature. That's how that works. They bring tax propositions, and those will always be prop, uh, propositions. So if it if it involves taxes, it's a proposition. There are, and so the state legislature ones will have 
two letters behind them. For example, like I mentioned earlier, Proposition EE, which is a tax on nicotine products that we the people are allowed to vote on because of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights that we have in the state of Colorado. In contrast, a proposition placed on the ballot by citizens going out and collecting signatures from other citizens will be followed by three digits, three numbers, anywhere between 100 and 999. So, for example, we have Proposition 13 on the ballot, which concerns adopting a bill passed by Congress, by the state Congress. So we are amending we are amending the state statute, which has been passed and approved by our state government. So that's, you know, kind of to give you an example of, just to give you an idea of what you're looking at. When I'm talking about these things and spitting out these numbers and names, it gives you a better idea of how it got there. So just, just to sum it up, amendments for the Constitution, propositions for the state statute. How they get on there depend or changes whether they use letters or numbers and how many letters or numbers that they put on the ballot. So there you go. Amendments and propositions. Pretty well, hopefully, I hope that, that that's a good summary. I think it's a decent summary. And if you want more information on that, or you want, you know, you work better when you're reading, you learn better when you're reading, go read your blue book. This is all of this information that I'm telling you is here in the blue book itself, all of it. So this is my source. The blue book is my source and I depend on it greatly. So go give it a read. If something didn't make sense to you, go take a pencil to it. I always make notes all over mine, which irritates some people in my family sometimes, but other times not so much. It's, you know, it's useful to have that debate within the household. So go open your blue book and read the first few pages. They'll tell you a little bit about how all of this comes to be and how we got here. So anyways, we're going to go on a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about something. I'm pre-recording all of this, so I don't know what we're going to talk about. It's going to be a surprise for you and for me. This is a break. You're listening to The Pulse, and this is a break. So I want you to close your eyes, unless you're driving. Unless you're driving. Breathe in. Take a deep breath in, 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 and out. Now that we've taken care of that, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. This is The Pulse on AIM Student Radio. I'm Preston Ross, and right now I'm going to be covering Proposition 116, which is currently on the ballot in the state of Colorado. And what it is, is on its face, quite simple. But like all things political, it can get complicated, but we'll get into that after we've covered the basics. So, on its face, what is it? It is a state income tax rate reduction. I'll say that one more time, a state income tax rate reduction, which means that we would be taking, we would be lowering the amount of taxes the state of Colorado would be gathering through income taxes starting in the fiscal year 2020 and applying to future years. And it would reduce the the rate from what it's at, at its current 4.63% of income, it would lower that down to 
6%. So this is not a huge jump. Numerically, if you're looking at percentages, it's not a giant jump. But every penny adds up, especially when it comes to things like taxes. So 4% is a big deal, but changing it from 0.63 to 4.55 is also a big deal. So let's dive into some of some more of the numbers. So first off, your first question is going to be, how is it spent? How is this money that is typically raised through income tax, which would still be raised, just not as much, where is that spent? Where does the state government put my income tax? So the main, it, it is the main source of what is called the general fund revenue. So this is revenue that goes to core programs in the state of Colorado, like education and healthcare. So, but keep in mind, it's not the general fund revenue is not all of the state budget. It's only a portion of it. Um, the other two portions, major portions being cash revenue, which is revenue that is collected and earmarked for a particular activity. So for example, Colorado Wildlife Services sells hunting hunting license. The state of Colorado sells hunting licenses. And those are earmarked to go into, the funds from that are earmarked to go into things like parks and recreation and um, keeping up wildlife and paying the people who work in our wildlife services, for example. So that's the cash revenue. And then, of course, there's federal revenue, which the state receives from the federal government. So all of this is just going into a portion of our cash, but the more we gather, the more we have to spend. And because Colorado has a balanced budget, we can't spend more than we make. So number-wise, in 2018-2019 fiscal year, this raised $2.9 million or 67% of the general fund revenue. So it's a pretty large portion of a portion of the state government, but it's an important portion. Every penny counts. So it's 67% of the general fund revenue, and that would decrease a little bit because we would be losing some of that money, essentially, in the future. If you're thinking about future earnings, you're losing money or losing more money. You're making less. So what are the pros and cons of this bill? Well, the pros are that this would put money in, in the pockets of taxpayers to help them because this has been a rough year for a lot of people, maybe all the people, I don't know. Maybe some people weren't affected. I, I, hope, I hope you're doing well. By the way, I haven't mentioned COVID all season, and I know I promised to stay away from it, but I hope you're doing well. And if you this passes, I hope the money that you are able to keep in your pocket really does help you. And we'll get to that. We'll get to how much there is. So theoretically, this would put more money in people's pockets at the beginning of next year to help kickstart the economy back into gear as COVID has hopefully gone away by then, but we'll see. And lower taxes, you know, if we have more money in our pockets, economics believes, the most economic theories state that 
we're probably going to spend that either on things that we need or things that we want. So we're either putting it into rent or gasoline for the car, or maybe we're putting it towards a new video game. If we have more money in our pockets, we have more money to spend. So that helps promote businesses and, you know, local and large and really start the cycle, kickstart the cycle which is the idea behind this, but, 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 there are cons. There is an argument against this. So the first argument I'm going to make is that the state is already fairly underfunded. I don't know if you've ever driven on a road in Colorado, but especially in the summers, you'll notice an excessive amount of construction that you might not see in similar places like Kansas. So, and the reason, there's a lot of reasons for that why our roads are so bad, but a good portion of that problem is because we don't have enough money for CDOT. In 2018, CDOT was running a 9.3, I believe it was, a 9.3 dollar, 9.3 billion dollar deficit, which means that they're 9.3 billion dollars short and that I know that's only grown since then. I can't quote the number, but I know it's grown. And so, you know, our roads are getting are starting to crumble and we don't have enough money to pay for them because as as since we have the balanced budget, we can't spend more than we have where, you know, so the state can't go into debt. And if it makes more than it needs to, it has to give that back to the taxpayers. So it's that tax law is really complicated. Another con is that 75% of taxpayers will only see a decrease of up to $50. So 75%, a majority of people who pay taxes in the state of Colorado via their income will see a most so that's most of the state will only see at best of $50 savings. So if you think about the COVID argument, $50 in that, if you're thinking that long term, is not really going to do much. Now, it might do a lot. It sounds great now. It sounds really great now. But what if things are are back to closer to normal? The economy is doing great, just theoretically, and the state should be collecting those taxes. So there's an argument against, which means, of course, now... The other 25% will be getting a majority of the benefit. They will be getting a majority, you know, they'll see more money removed from their taxes because they have a lot more money. Now, to some that set seems fair, but when you look at the numbers, this also from, from the state, from, from the perspective of the state, you look at how many people are really saving money and you can easily come to the question how is this really benefiting the state in general when we were no longer able to fund certain things that we could have been able to do if we'd had more cash revenue? So the average fun fact about all of this, the average decrease that people will see is $37, which is an estimate. Of course, they've done some math. So imagine that most people, 75% of people will see on average $37 taken off of their taxes next year, which is, if you pay somebody else to do your taxes, might be what you pay them. You might pay them that much. 
So really, you're not saving that much. It's not a huge, big, you're not going to save hundreds of dollars. Most of us are not going to save hundreds of dollars on this. So, to wrap it all up, if you vote yes on Proposition 116, the state income tax rate reduction, assuming it passes, would reduce the state income tax rate from where it stands currently at 4.63% all the way down to 4.55%. If you vote no, next year on taxes, we will be paying 4.33% of the income we made in the year 2020. So, there it is. Proposition 116, vote yes, vote no. Nobody cares. Go vote. Go vote. That matters more. So, go do that thing. Thanks for listening. I'm Preston Ross, and this is The Pulse on Ames Student Radio.